All right. As we continue to worship the Lord, uh, we're worshiping the Lord right now uh, in the teaching of the scriptures. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Leon, I have a Bible for you. We're going to jump right in. We're in chapter two of Colossians. We're going through the book of Colossians right now. And uh, we just finished off. We just finished off uh, uh, chapter one and discussing the, the theology of suffering. Uh, that we see so evident uh, throughout Scripture uh, and that the Lord is calling us to and what that looks like practically. So it seems very timely and telling uh, that now we would uh, just get a little picture into Paul's heart, uh, his heart for his people. And even some of the goals of what what he's teaching. I want you to um, pay close close attention today. There's going to be a lot of detail. Uh, I want to put our thinking caps on. Uh, You know, we're very serious about trying to learn the scriptures, uh, trying to model Bible study methods. So um, let's jump right in. Does everybody have a Bible? There you go. Go ahead and turn to Colossians. If you have your Bible already with you, we just ask you to get a pen out. If you need some paper, uh, hopefully you can turn on the back of your program. If not, um, raise your hand. We can give you more uh, paper so you can write down notes. Also, just want to remind you guys that there is a Colossians packet uh, to the left here when you leave the auditorium. Um, as you continue to develop your understanding of the scriptures and try to uh, model Bible study methods in your own uh, devotion to Christ, we want to offer that to you. Please grab that. And uh, one other thing we want to offer, I don't have the book. Uh, we have a book out there that's free. We have a box of them. The name of, do, do we have the book there? It's a John Piper book that we got, a box of John I, We were able to receive uh, a bunch of free John Piper books. Praise the Lord. I'm getting, amen, that's right. I'm getting getting, uh, better at this. I'm getting better at this. It's called A Holy Ambition, uh, where we we get to do certain things, and then I forget to tell the body, and then you guys rightfully want to beat me up. So we uh, had an opportunity to uh, present what the Lord is doing in MacAv like three weeks ago uh, at a conference, a little uh, Christian college conference thingy in, in Lansing, and we got a chance to hang out with John Piper, which is really cool. And um, he gave us a box of books. And so it's called A Holy Ambition. I want to ask you, uh, first come, first serve. There's a box of them out there. So if you don't get one, don't get mad. First come, first serve. All right? Um, no riots, though, in the hallway, please. Okay, we're going to jump right in uh, to Colossians chapter 2. Um, we've just read it. I want us to provide our thesis. Here's what we're asking the question. The question today is, how does a community of faith fight the trap of deception? OK, uh, I think this text is going to answer that. And and, I, and what I did, you know, this is new. I don't usually start like this. I'm starting like this because I want us to keep that in our minds as we look at the text. OK, because uh, Sarah and I we were hanging out. We talk about try to talk to her about uh, whatever I'm teaching because she's awesome and wise. And I just like hanging with my wife and talking about theology with her. And we were just sharing how, man, it's like, well, is there specific um, examples of deception? And we were like specific examples. This is probably the biggest issue uh, that Satan uses. And when you think of him being a father of lies, when you think of him being in, in, our, in our theological framework, I'm convinced that the Bible teaches uh, that we defeated Satan at the cross. And so what God allows to happen is he allows Satan uh, to use deception. Uh, but the reason why uh, is to actually purify and sanctify the people of God and actually heap judgment on the, unpe- the people who don't love Jesus. OK, and so deception, the lies, right? I always tell Christians that that, that the power of the enemy is not in the demon going rah in your bedroom, right, in a closet at night. The power of the enemy is in the lie, okay? That's how the enemy has you, is when he gets you to think unrealistically, when he gets you to believe in unreality, when you, be, when you begin to have an eyesight and a framework where what you are perceiving is not real, but you think it is, he has you. And that's his goal. 
And that's his goal. Even with the, he says, even with the elect, if it were possible, he would try to do this to us. Okay? He would try. Now, what he does, sadly, with the elect is he does have many of us walking around with delusions. While you're walking around and we're believing things that are false, things that aren't true. Uh, but he can't take our salvation, praise the Lord. But God wants to, what the Lord wants to do through Paul is he wants us to see that this is a serious issue and be extremely urgent about it and ask the Lord, Lord, how do we protect ourselves individually and how do we protect the covenant community from deception? So that's our thesis. And I think we're going to start and hopefully we'll get insight into what, what Paul tells us to do. He starts off with verse one. Uh, he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle uh, he starts off with this sense of struggling. He's in prison right now. Uh, the question is, what does a struggle look like? I mean, some theologians would say the struggle maybe was uh, uh, comes off as like a, uh, maybe a, a disciplined struggle, right? In the sense of he's struggling, the way he's struggling, man, he's fasting for them. Uh, maybe, you know, he's like saying, I don't want any more food. I'm trying to fast for our people. Uh, maybe there is an intense time of prayer. We don't know exactly what the struggle is, but for whatever reason, Paul is saying, man, I'm thinking about you guys. I'm struggling for you guys. I really want something for you. Um, I have, he says, I, how, to know how, how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So we know that that he has this passion, this heart for his, pe- his people, and specifically uh, what he wants for them, the struggle, the, the, the desire he wants uh, for the people of God is that for us and for obviously the first century Christians, uh, the Colossians the, and the Laodiceans, is that their hearts may be encouraged. He wants, to, he wants these guys to have hearts that are encouraged, that they are experiencing uh, just uh, a great joy and great encouragement as the people of God. Um, in addition, what he wants is he wants their hearts to be knitted in, together in love, right? They're, he wants their hearts maybe encouraged and in being knit together in love. Uh, now, this whole knit picture is, uh, and I'm, I messed this up. I got doctors in the house, so that'd be cool. I just know it has that picture of, uh, of tendons and ligaments, uh, it's, that's, that's the picture that, that Paul is trying to provide. Now, now correct me, tendons connect muscle to muscle? Wait, muscle to bone? What do ligaments do? Connect bone to bone. So you have tendon connects muscle to bone, and then ligaments connect bone to bone, right? But they're all like t- fragment tissue thingies, right? So, uh, and, yeah, see, I'm not a doctor, I'm a pastor, all right? <laughs> so give me a break. The little thingies, you like that word? Would I get great, you know, uh, people would respect me if I was a doctor and I said that, right? So, so he wants their hearts to be encouraged. He wants to be being knit together in love. Um, and now how are we knitted? Obviously, it says in love. And I, I bring that up, and this is sort of a commercial here, because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to show us a flow of thought here. He tells us we're knitted together in love, and, and this is more of the commercial. Uh, when you, talk, when you talk about love, I mean, there's many different ways we can talk about love. But in this particular passage, I want us to understand sort of the, uh, the hard, how hard it is to love. And that is because love in, in, its, in its conception is an act of concern for another person, right? It's an act of concern for people. And it's taking the initiative to be concerned about somebody else. And what I'm proposing, I was just thinking about our community, because if that's, if that's some of the aspects of what love is, I, I'm pretty sure we've all seen this, that, that comes with inconvenience and sacrifice when you actually want to show your concern for other people. And I just bring this up because uh, I think people, a lot of times, as we minister and care and neighbor, uh, people love the idea of community. 
But people don't like the hard work of true community. And I think we've seen that, right? As a local body, right? Everyone in here now is like, oh, this is community, right? Because it's difficult, right? And it's and you find yourself repenting of sin all the time. And you find yourself sinning all the time. You find yourself trying to give grace and experience grace. And it is really difficult uh, to live in a body uh, like MacAv. But at the same time, you see yourself growing in Christ. You're getting Jesus, right? And so that's, the, that's that tug, right? You're like, man, I'm going to kill somebody, but I love the Lord more. And it's kind of, right? I mean, if we're, if we're really honest. So, um, so he's saying to these guys, he's saying, I struggle for you, and I, I, I want some things. I want you to be encouraged in your faith, and I want you to be knit together in love. And it's this picture of, of that he's saying, hopefully, that through my struggle, that would, that would sort of uh, bring about the catalyst of you being knitted together in love. But also, I'm hoping that you're knitted together in love, even as I tell you, I'm struggling for your joy. So he's, he's saying, I want those both. I want, I want my struggle to be facilitating you knit it together in love, but I also want that facilitation of you knit it together in love to be happening already. This is what he wants from the body, right? This is what he wants. Um, if, that's, if that's covenant community, which is really hard, I'm proposing that when you think of uh, deception, I just gave two little, and these are just, you know, these are like lobs. These are like softballs. Uh, that we see in covenant community that can, that can really hinder community. That's the privacy gospel, okay, right? The privacy gospel, right, was where, you know, I'm just a private person. I need to do my own thing. And uh, this is sort of the antithesis of what we're talking about up here, right? If it's all about you and it's all about you being private and, and, you're, and you're doing your thing and people just don't understand me, I need to do my thing, and you don't find yourself actually inconveniencing your life and yourself for the sake of others, I'm just proposing to you it's hard to have biblical community, but it seems that if we commit ourselves to ourselves, community can't flourish. It cannot flourish. It just can't grow. If, that, if that's everyone's mode of operation and disposition, how can we have true community here? You absolutely can. The whole essence of community is when each person is willing to be inconvenienced, is willing to share and care and do some of the things that we have so modeled in our body and to do them consistently. But, but the people like us, we have to be careful about communalism. Okay, we can, I think we kind of get that part, but some of us, we got to make sure that we're not doing community for community's sake, okay? Because we're not here, and we're not just trying to be together just like the world, just because we just think that's really cool, right? That if community uh, is not the goal, then we have a fundamental serious problem. I mean, I'm sorry, Christ needs to be the goal. If community is the goal, we have an issue. If the focus is, I want to be together, I want to make sure we're, we're, we're friends, we're getting along, and all these other ends, and it's not at the end, Jesus, what happens is you'll, you'll eventually begin to thwart community. And, and we've seen both of these happen in our body as we have the ebb and flow and as we fight together. Okay, so that's just, that's just a commercial. That, that was just me saying, I wanted to talk about community as, as your pastor. I'm just get back to the text. So he's saying, I struggle. Hey, here's what I want for you guys. I want you to be encouraged. Uh, that encouragement looks like you're knitted together in love. Uh, guess what? And then through that love, what happens is that you're going to get this full assurance. You're going to get these riches of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. We got like a little throwback verse here. We've seen this before, haven't we, guys? Remember chapter 1? But notice here in chapter 1, he's talking about the reality of theological prowess. He wants us to grow in our understanding of doctrine and things of that sort. Look how you gain assurance and understanding and knowledge of, of God's mystery, which is Christ. Jesus is that. Look how you get it here. You get it through love. Isn't that interesting? That he's saying, as you are encouraged and being knit together in love, hopefully what will happen is that these things will happen. 
which I think is really cool for us to see that beautiful balance, how God wants us to get smarter, but not just to get smart. Because if we're just getting a lot of theology and we're not experiencing gospel-centered love, if we're not experiencing Jesus, I mean, this is all good talk, just being a good Christian, whatever you want to call it, in that framework, being a good Christian, walking with the Lord, yielding to the Spirit. If we're not experiencing that love that God desires, it seems like God is saying he doesn't, because he gives us to us, he doesn't bless us with those mysteries, with that knowledge of God. He's not into this making us smarter if it's not about kingdom. You see that? Here he's saying he's hoping that that love will bring about these riches that are found in Christ. And notice here, I love how he uses Christ. Notice, he continues on, he uses Christ like a, like a big treasure chest, right? That these riches are hidden in Christ. It's almost like, he, like, like almost you have to open up Jesus to get to these things, you know? And the way you open up Christ is when you have a community that's operating knitted in love. You see the flow of, talk, the, the flow of thought there? So this is what he's wanting. This is what he's wanting. In whom are all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. So we get to the point where he's saying, hey, I have the struggle. My struggle is for you to experience uh, great encouragement. Here's what encouragement does. I'm hoping that you'll be knitted together in love. Through that knitting together in love, you'll be experiencing the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord. It's all found in Christ. Christ is the big old treasure box. He opens up because you're being about kingdom, because you're doing this whole fireball of love thing. And what that does is verse 4, which I propose is sort of like his main point, but it's couched in between two big main points that we're going to get to in a moment. And what that does, guys, notice verse 4. I say this. I want all this to happen in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, that you would be a people of God who is not delusional. You'll be a people of God who's not entering and experiencing deception. Now, delusion, hallucination, falsehood, unreality, fiction, is when you look at something and you have you have those glasses on that helps you see something that's totally different than what's there. And he's saying the way we protect ourselves from that delusion seems from verses one through three so far is when the people of God are experiencing great encouragement in the body and are knitted together in love. So if you're writing notes, I'm proposing to you that God is saying, if you want to see, the, see Satan be thwarted, if you want him to stop bringing dissension in your life, bringing deception in your life, bringing deception in the local body, one thing that Paul is really urging and struggling for people to get is that we as a people of God have to be knitted together in love and be experiencing that gospel-centered encouragement. Let me continue on. Let's recap, okay, guys? So here's what he does. He gives us the argument here in verses 1 through 4. This is what we've just gone through. Notice the argument, okay? And he says, Paul sees a potential danger of, of delusion. He sees this potential danger. He says, oh, okay, stop it in his tracks. So here's what I'm doing. I'm struggling for you guys. I want you guys to hold on. Understand this is serious business. And the reason why I'm struggling is so that you would see that struggling, the struggling that I'm giving, the, the, just the hardship of me just really wanting something from you, and that you will be encouraged by that. Look how much that brother cares for us. He's struggling. What is he doing? Is he fasting? Is he, is he reading over and over again the scriptures? What is he doing? He really wants us to get something. And through that, I'm encouraged because of his love. Goes on and says, and through that encouragement, and because of that encouragement, through the encouragement, because of the encouragement, 
He's saying you will be knit together in love. Hopefully that would do something. That would be some kind of stimulus or catalyst, or catalyst for you to be, as a people of God, knit together in love. And from that love would spring forth the assurance and wisdom and understanding and knowledge of the Holy One that you would get Jesus, that we would get Christ because we're knitted together. We're not talking about all kind of crazy stuff and dogging each other, but we're such in a fireball of love. We're getting Christ and that we will be a powerful and healthy body because we are getting Christ, because we are healthy and we are knitted together in love. And then in that unity, what will happen is we are able to fight off delusion. Matt. You hear that, guys? So he, so, so what, what Matthew does is did a great job at understanding uh, a, a modified term, plausible arguments. He's going, I'm going to get into. He's talking about plausible arguments. That the art is not Paul isn't saying I can't believe you guys are caught up in that stupid stuff. He's saying they're plausible. He's saying I, I, I kind of get it. I mean, it kind of makes sense. But at the end, it's, it's a, it's a dead end. It's a lie. You see that? And so he's trying to, because we, we, what we usually do as people, we make straw man arguments. Something's either ridiculously stupid or it's insanely smart. And it seems like Satan is not that, he's, he's too crafty for that. He's not going to do that. What he's going to do is make things seem okay while we're not living the life that we're called to live as Christians. And so he's trying to say, hey, it looks okay, but, but see, if you're knitted in love, if you're having this gospel love that we we're talking about, if you guys are actually experiencing this and experiencing encouragement of the saints, hopefully that kind of community, that kind of unity will allow you to ward off those arguments. That you will be able to see all that stuff and you can see clearly and you'll live a life of joy and encouragement. Great. Thank you, bro. Thanks for the insight. Okay, so that's verses one through four. But I'm proposing he's making his argument even stronger because right now what we're saying is encouragement is huge. But I want to propose to you that encouragement by itself isn't necessarily gospel-centered. Okay? Let me show you why. He continues on. So right now we know, okay, we need to encourage each other as a body. We need to be knitted together in love. Okay? He continues on, guys. He says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He's saying, man, here's why I'm doing this. This is my desire. I want to see you guys being all you're called to be in Jesus. I want you to enjoy Christ, be loving Christ, be firm in Jesus. This is, what, this is why I'm coming at you like this. And he continues on. Well, what does that look like? So I want to propose what he's saying in verse 5. This is what I want. I want to propose that verse 6 and 7 is almost a retelling of verses 1 and 3. Okay? It's almost what he's saying. He's kind of, he's kind of saying the same thing again. And that verse 4 is the main point of the argument. Is that I don't want you to be living a life in deception with these plausible, deceiving arguments. And so I'm going to encourage you. Basically, what does it look like to be an encouraging body? And then what I'm going to do is help you understand the importance that encouragement by itself is not always gospel centered, but encouragement completed with thanksgiving is gospel centered. Verses six and seven. Look at verse six and seven. So he says, here's what I want. Okay. Okay. We're trying to defend against these arguments. Verse four. I'm absent in body, guys, but I'm, pre- I'm, but I'm present in spirit because I want you to be all you can be in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him. 
right? I want you to just be a Christian. Look what he says here. Rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So let me just go ahead and break this down real quick. Here's the process in verses six and seven. He says, okay, you re- we received Jesus as Lord. We become Christians, right? Okay. And then it says we are taught about Christ. We receive. So I'm proposing that whole sense of wisdom and understanding again that he's talking about in the earlier verses. So we become Christians. We receive Christ. We begin to walk in Christ. We begin to be rooted. Right. Those are all like gospel terms of just being like enjoying Christ, yielding to Jesus, walking in holiness, rooted and built up in him. Notice those terminologies. Um, It says that we're rooted and built up. Well, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging dialogue? That's, you know, being built up. It's to be encouraged. That's encouragement. That's the very same thing he's saying I want you to be in verses 1 through 3. And so he's saying, I want, you to, I want you to come to Christ, start walking in Christ, be encouraged, learn about Jesus. Then in that, and you're in a covenant community, I want you to be built up and rooted in Christ. I want you to be experiencing a stable environment that you can experience the Lord. Establishing faith. And then as you're in that walk, as you're in that way of life, as you're living that life as an individual and a covenant community, what happens is the fruit of that, you're experiencing that, is always abounding in thanksgiving. So my plea to our body as your leaders, I'm saying that the Lord is telling us through Paul, as he's talking to the first century church, he's saying in verses 1 through 3 that it is extremely important for us as the people of God to see that in us being an encouraging body and knitting together in love that we are able to fight the lies of Satan and deception that's in verse 4. And that guess what? If you just get encouraged, but you miss verses 6 and 7, which says now in that encouragement, you are always abounding in thanksgiving. You miss the gospel centrality of it. Why? Think about it. We've had this happen in our life. Um, you get up one morning, you got to go to a meeting. All right. You can't find your keys. You're running around. Oh, my God. Where are my keys? You come back in the house. Thought I had my keys. I don't have my keys. You look upstairs. You look downstairs. Can't find your keys. Oh, Lord, help me find my keys. You pray. Find my keys. All right. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, your keys are found. Yeah. You go grab. You go get in the car. You go off to your meeting. Okay. So what's wrong with that? You're encouraged. You got your keys. You go, in your meeting, you go in your meeting. But guess who did not get thanked? There was no thankfulness. There was no pause in saying, God, look what you did. And see, what happens is what thankfulness does, it reminds us where our encouragement comes from. See, it's not, see, see that's where the world gets it wrong. See, the goal isn't just to be encouraged. The goal is to be gospel-centered encouragement. And through all of our encouragement as the people of God, being encouraged by one another, that we point to God and say, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for providing for us. And I see this model in our body all the time. I love our body because I've seen people like April and I've seen individuals uh, just model great gospel-centered encouragement where it leads toward pointing to the Savior. So God is saying, if all you're doing is wanting someone to appease and encourage you and you feel better, but there's no gospel centrality where it's going to lead toward worship, and that means you're pointing to God, he's saying what happens is we become a big candidate for deception. Always abounding in thanksgiving, the scriptures say. Gospel encouragement, and, um, and John Piper says something like this. He says, um, 
that encouragement, he says, thanksgiving is the completion of encouragement. Is that it's still, it's left hanging to dry um, if we're not saying thankfulness. Now, the question I ask myself when I look at the verses, I, get, I went, okay, I get that. Wow, this is, this is powerful for me in my own walk with the Lord. But why did he separate? Why did he, you know, Kapal does that. He'll say the same thing over and over again. He just goes off. He's kind of like me. And then you're like, why do you keep saying that over and over again? It seems like what he's doing in verses one through three, and this is just, again, I didn't, I didn't check this with, the, with theologians. And in verses, you see, six and seven, it's almost like, okay, encouragement um, always has to have thanksgiving, okay? Like to, to be encouraged and to not be thankful, then I would propose you haven't done a full gospel circle, okay? And so encouragement always should, have, should be in and in thankfulness. But you are to be thankful even when you're not encouraged. Okay? So I wonder if there's something about the separation because there is like a mutual, like there's an inclusivity and exclusivity to it. Where, yeah, you're always to be thankful when you're encouraged. But guess what? You're always to be thankful even when you're not encouraged. So he almost ends everything by saying, hey, by the way, you're always to be thankful. But I'm assuming you get that when you're encouraged, you're supposed to be thankful. You see that? Now, so gospel encouragement, thanksgiving, and love are key to fighting the trap of delusion. I think this is huge for us. Let me give you some other verses, guys, just to chew on. This is all throughout Scripture. Let me just give you a few verses. The Scriptures say, uh, continue steadfastly in prayer. This is as we continue on in Colossians, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Um, Very interesting verses. Look at this. Let there be no filthiness. I love this one here. This is like practical, right? You want to know how you do this practically. Look at this. And it's a practical demonstration. You guys are familiar with this text. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You see what he's saying there? He said, let me give you a practical example. He's saying, okay, so how do you take uh, delusion and deception and kill it? He said, okay, so here it is here. You want to have a yuck mouth. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill your mouth with thanksgiving soap. And guess what that's going to do? That's going to allow you not to be a yuck mouth. It's going to allow you not to be one of these individuals who's bringing in deception through their filthy mouth. Just a practical demonstration of what does it look like to see thanksgiving and encouragement have its effect on the covenant community. We've experienced that. You're hanging with some people in our local body, you know, and, you know, you're you're at lunch and you're saying, you know, you... I can't believe Eric went that long again. You know, know, just bring it home. And, you know, another person says, I know. It's the 15th time in a row. You know, and you start going down the road. I don't know. I'll just, um, what would it look like to, you know, go to me Pueblo and not start off with something that's foul, but to start off Praising God for something. What does it look like to start conversation and edifying one another and looking at someone and talking about what you see in them and how they bring the gospel? Do you think that the person who's, nor- who's normally the Debbie Downer is going to say something crazy after you've provided an environment of gospel encouragement? Do you think they might not think twice about looking stupid? Because you're saying, no, we're going to be about honoring and edifying the people of God and exalting Christ because we're serious about this thing and we understand Satan wants to get a foothold on us. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to choose language that honors the Lord, language that honors each other. We're going to choose language that uplifts each other so that we can provide an environment where we can see clearly when delusion tries to come in. Just a practical example. That makes sense? I thought it was a good example because I heard, I heard that, um, John Piper said something kind of funny like that too, but I thought it was true in my case because y'all do get mad at me going along all the time. Um, practical tools of fight. So that's a theological framework, okay? He's saying, listen, guys, this is, the stakes are high. Deception's huge. Think about all the different ways that we can be deceived. Me and Sarah were talking about prosperity theology. Uh, we're, I mean, we're talking about the different ways of even doing community. Think about ways right now in your thinking. I mean, I see this. We see this all the time, guys. Deception is so interesting because delusion is not like you were Monday, you're this way. And then Tuesday, you think totally different about the world, guys. That's not how deception works. It creeps in and it slowly begins to retake your whole worldview. And so it takes years. It takes time. And all of a sudden, you've been here and at first it was all sweet and you thought everybody was cool and everybody loved me and it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, the same people that you were calling Uncle Eric, you don't even want to say hi to him. How did it get to that point? How does it get there? It doesn't take a day. It takes time for Satan to continue to change your worldview to the point the very people you were fighting with, you're fighting against. And sometimes when you sit them in a dark room and say, tell me why, they don't even know why. They don't even know the reason why there's such disdain and hatred. You see the trickery? You see the trickery, guys? Here's some practical tools. I think the reason why we need to be serious about this, because I think first it allows you not to be a downer in your community. I think it allows you to, to, to ask the Lord, so what does it look like for me to be providing this gospel-centered encouragement that's so key that, that Paul models and says he wants for the people of God. He wants us to knit it together in love. He wants us to be encouraging the saints. He wants us to always be abounding in thanksgiving. What's my part in that? And to be asking that, if we're asking that as individuals, we will ask that as a covenant community. And that's his point. He's talking to individuals, but he's always talking organism. Paul's always talking organism. Get out of your mind right now as, 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 as we're 21st century believers thinking it's all about just me and my time at Starbucks. When he talks, Paul's always talking community. So he's asking you to think about yourself for the edification of the church. Not just so that you can be nicer. Again, we, we're, we're, we're dispelling. We're, we're beating down the Oprah stuff, right? And the Dr. Phil stuff. That's not our goal. Right? Our goal is kingdom. And so he wants to come to community to reflect Christ so people will come to Jesus. See how it all goes back to Christ. So it allows you not to be a downer, guys. And, you know, some of us have the downer disposition. Some of us are just really kind disposition. And some of us, left into our old nature, we're just downers. We see everything is had. Why the guy is broke? Well, it's not resist crack right here. We know it's broke. Well, okay. You know, we, everything foul. Everybody mad. Everybody, you know. How you doing? You know, sarcastic coming. Okay. Right. Okay. That's okay, though. That's your journey. Understand God wants to redeem that. Right. So, so some of us, get, it's easier. This, this part of the sanctification is easier for some people than others. Hopefully we'll get to a text where it's easier for you. This week it might be harder for you. Okay. 
All right, so if that's your disposition, the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, repent and understand I'm not calling you. That's, I want to redeem your personality if that's your personality. If your personality is a downer, God says it doesn't edify the church. Okay, and this is bigger than you. He wants this body to really love each other. And guys, we're, you guys are unbelievable. We should. We should. We should really be impassioned and loving and cheering for each other and knitted together in love. I think it gives you gospel-centered perspective. When you're thankful and you're, all, when you're encouraging, see, here's the thing. Here, here's what we got we to fight in our local body and the people of God all over the world, is what we do, we see the culture, the culture takes something that's bibliocentric, they, they paganize it, and then we, we leave it alone too, because we get nervous, right? And so this whole concept of saying good words and thinking happy thoughts, we go, that seems so liberal, and that seems so, you know, Oprah. That's biblical. They stole it. So now we're scared to say nice things, because we feel fake, right? I ain't going to say it until I really feel like it. You know, it's like, no, the Lord said that first, not Oprah. Okay, the Lord is saying there's something about you and me in faith, looking at someone and believing the best. And saying, I'm going to I'm going to you know what? Apart from Jesus, I never talked to you, but I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to learn how to be outside myself and actually give life, give life, having that the theme in my mind. How do I give life to this person? How do, I, how do I care for them? How do I love them? And you know I'm a truth guy, so I ain't saying to act stupid. I'm saying th- there's so much that we can see that God is doing, and we always see what God's not doing. I'm blown away at my brokenness in my own heart, how my wife can do all these cool things, and I'm talking about the one thing she didn't do. And she's going, really, dude? What about all, this, all these kids on me? What I can't get no encouragement. They pulling her leg while I'm tripping, you know, and it's like, bro. So, so it gives you, so gospel-centered perspective, when, when, you, when we're like that, then when things come and they're hard, you hear me, when we're girding ourselves, you see what it says, built up, remember the text now, this isn't just, this isn't just uh, commentary, this is theology. Remember what we just looked at, in the text it talks about being built up, when we're built up and we're stable, and, we're, and why, why does he want us to be girded deep? Why does he want to be cemented? Why? Because there's going to come a storm. And so now when that storm comes, you're not just going, oh, but forget it now. Now when a storm comes, you're still like, oh, wow. But I see Christ. Look at the Lord. Look at the Lord in this. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, something as simple as like, uh, you know, the Olsons, man, you know, going in their house, no heat and no water. They're moving in. It was moving in by two or three days. And she, I mean, you can just tell she just renewed her mind. Nope. I'm not going to get Satan a foothold here. This is great. Look at this beautiful house. Look at what we're doing. Oh, I'm so excited. We're, we're finding old skeletons of lizards. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mike Fane picking them up with his bright hands. That was nasty. And uh, I'm just kidding. And I'm going, man, look at her. She's just like just saying, no, I'm going to encourage. I'm going to be an encouragement here. I'm going to lead through that. And I propose to change the whole environment of the home. I'm going to say something stupid now as you are being about the gospel. I usually will, but I wasn't that time. <laughs> perspective, guys. Helps you believe the best. When we're, when, when we're filled with that, when we're being a body like that, we start to believe the best in each other. And we don't believe the worst. 
And we have those discussions because we're believing the best. Because we're caring about each other. It's very interesting to me, as serious as the gospel is about missionality, I'm just so, it's so cool to see how Paul, all throughout the text and all throughout the scriptures, shows that he sees gospel missionality happening when there's a healthy body doing it. Did you hear me? When we're healthy. And that's why he spends time on the health of the people of God. It helps us live with passion. When you, see, when, you, when everything's messed up, you kind of don't even want to get up in the morning sometimes. When it's always, look how foul this is. Look what he did to me. Look what she did. I can't believe this. Why, why all these bad things? When we're thinking like that, how do you live in passion? How do you live with passion when that's your narrative? I think that's hard, right? But when your narrative is you all, you're seeing God in every aspect of your life and you're seeing what the Lord is doing through the heartache and through the triumph. Now you get up and you get, you get, you have purpose. There's a reason why God allowed you to get up today to worship him. And now you get up with more tenacity and power and courage. Because you see him with his eyes. And when we're all doing that individually and then collectively as a body, we can help each other see clearly. And we don't take things for granted. When you're thankful and you're an encourager, you just, you, you get, you just, you, you, you just become a person where you just don't take things for granted. You realize everything's a gift from Jesus. Everything. And you're saying thank, thank you for little things because they're not little. Because the evidence of God's grace is all around us. And he pours it out on us. And we de-worship him and we don't say thanks. And it trains the saints, guys. When you're giving a gospel encouragement... Um, when you're given thankfulness, what it does is it trains the rest of us around to be an encourager and to give thankfulness. Again, I gave you the example. When we, when I, if I'm in my house and someone's trying to say all these negative things, and I say, well, bro, let's talk about what the Lord has done. Or I just start talking about what the Lord has done. That changes people. People go, man, why, why, don't I, why am I thinking like this when I'm a Christian? When I'm on Christ's side, why am I going here? I'm proposing, guys, we're training the people of God. We're training each other when we do this in each other's lives. So delusion seems to be his focus. Hey, I want us to understand that God isn't into that. And he's saying, I'm really thinking, and I want you to understand that when we are thankful as individuals, And as a community, and when we're encouraging as individuals and community, as a gospel center, and this Jesus focus, when people see what Christ has done because of the cross, when people see that, man, now I can be alive because Jesus has paid the price of my sin. Now I'm free of sin. Now I can actually experience purpose. I can experience worth. I can help other people experience that they can have a relationship with their king. That changes everything. And when I live a life based on the reality of the gospel that Jesus is my king and Satan is not, and now I see life in light of that, and I try to encourage the church. As he says, I struggle with you. I want to be an encouragement. And I try to make sure that I'm doing my part as a covenant community member, knitting one another together in love, and then through that love, allowing God to open up his treasure chest of Jesus and say, here's all of my wisdom. Here's all of my understanding. Now enjoy this. God says now we have the power to live a life where we can see delusion 
We can see deception. We can call it what it is. And we can say no. And we can live a life of thankfulness and encouragement. Think about it. We're going to have tithing offering right now, guys. I want to encourage you guys right now. 